This is episode number eight with Dr. Sapna Samant. Welcome to the Life Optimized Show. My name is Dev Singh, and each week I bring you fascinating conversations with inspiring thought leaders from all around the world about what it really takes to optimize your business, leadership, and life. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Sapna Samant, uh, my good friend Sapna from New Zealand, to the show. Sapna, thanks so much for being here. It's uh, really cool to have you on. You're possibly, uh, uh, you know, one of the most unique people I've had on the show so far because I wanted to have you on because you've had a very interesting journey, but there wasn't anything in particular, um, any one particular thing in the context of optimization that stood out for me about you. The reason I wanted to have you on the show very particularly is because this is a bit of a learning experience for myself as well. You've got a lot of experience in radio and in, in production and, you know, even in the lead up to this episode, you've been giving me some tips and some help with structuring it. But we met a few years ago and we, we met in Sydney. I've Unfortunately, I've never been to New Zealand yet. And there was something about um, about you that stood out as, you know, sometimes in life you meet people who you just resonate with them very quickly because you know that they uh, walk an unbeaten path. And it's very rare to be able to identify that so quickly with people, especially the kinds who are, you know, even as, as you actually said yourself in some notes that you sent me, a free-spirited soul, a wanderer, a dreamer, uh, a deliberate exile. But to be able to see that in someone, to be able to see it in their aura, if you will, or in their uh, just in their charisma, and to see that they have a real not desperation, but a real a real passion to make sure that they don't fall back in line with society's expectations of how they're supposed to live. I think there's a great deal of optimization in that as well. And what I'm, I'm hoping to learn from this episode and share with everyone listening is really through your very interesting and very, um, very diverse uh, journey and experiences, how you've learned along the way to optimize your decision making, optimize your life, optimize your response to other people's expectations. Um, and in, in a way, it really actually comes down to optimizing your sense of personal leadership and taking responsibility for how you want to live your life, even if it flies in the face of what other people think you should be doing. So firstly, uh, welcome. Kia ora, namaste. That's my typical greeting. Thank you for having, <laughs> thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm looking forward to, I'm intrigued by the introduction you've given me myself because I never really looked at myself like that. Um, I'm just doing what I have to do um, and it's taken you to tell me that I have an aura. Um, I, I, I do believe I have an aura but I, I did not know that it resonated with you so much. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the questions actually and trying not to um, trying to see how I can optimize and answer you well. I know. And look, this is this is the thing we were discussing offline before the show, right? About even last night we were having a chat about how to structure this and think like a producer and make sure that the show is a little bit tighter. And somehow when I hit that record button and I start talking to the people uh, that are on the show, it's not, it's not that I change as a person, but there are just certain ideas and concepts that come a little bit more naturally that... Yeah. It's weird. It almost feels like if I was telling you this stuff before or preparing it, it would have felt more contrived. But 
what I'm saying now is actually, it's very authentic. Uh, I mean it very genuinely. Uh, I can still very clearly remember the first day we met. I think it was uh, part of Paramasala, right? Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, Gary introduced us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Gary introduced us. And yes. and it was great. It was it was really cool. And there was definitely, uh, you know, a few, a few months ago, a very close friend of mine, you know, we were discussing this idea of old souls. And, you know, some people are wiser, uh, uh, more mature than the years or wiser than the years or you know people I often get that I get that a lot actually people tell me you know you're very mature for your age wise or beyond your years you're beyond yeah wise beyond your years um, and, and she said to me she said you know Dave when I've looked at you I've always thought um, not so much that you're wise beyond your years but you kind of have this sense of timelessness that you you, you actually are not really of any age and I never thought about it at the time but in retrospect when I think about that comment I, I think I kind of felt the same way about you as well. Yeah, well, you can, you, to me, age is just a number. It's just physiological changes in your body. Yeah. Uh, but I don't look at myself like an old soul. I look at myself as if I am a young soul full of energy um, and there's lots of things to learn. Um, yeah, if that is, that is an old soul with the energy of, the, of, of being young, that's an optimized soul. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but perhaps, perhaps, or I mean, we just we optimize whatever we what whatever cards we're dealt with. I guess. Yeah. We make yeah. the best of it, and the reason I say that in particular is because when I first invited you to the show, I mean, if you don't mind me saying this, um, you were very hesitant. You were very reluctant. Yes, and you I was. Yeah, you were going through some difficult time, um, and you felt that you know you weren't you weren't ready. You weren't at this point where you could say that I actually have a significant amount of value to offer the listeners of the episode. That's right, yeah. And what I feel about that is I think you're going to realize yourself probably throughout this conversation that it's actually the essence, the very essence of your entire story up until this point is that the value that you can share with people uh, is never actually about a destination. It's never about saying that now I've arrived, so because I've arrived, I can share value with people. It's actually about the fact that you are constantly exploring, so... There are so many little lessons and messages of inspiration, motivation, and empowerment throughout your journey. And you were, you know, you were born in Bombay, and um, as I introduced you as Doctor Sapnasamad, you're actually practicing GP, and you were practicing for nine years, and you were bored of it, and you moved to New Zealand, and you know, you um, you decided to go off and venture into uh, different pastures. I want yes. to green and pastures, different pastures. And you ended up doing a master's in film, television, media studies. Media studies, that's right. Auckland University. So that in itself is pretty, uh, pretty outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get that often. It's, it's people don't understand how the two diverse, completely unrelated um, fields or career paths. So why would I do that? So why would um, you do that? <laughs> yes, why indeed? Um, Let's just say that when I was practicing medicine uh, as a GP in India, um, over my nine years, gradually towards the end of my, you know, the, the time that I was practicing, I was really, really bored because it was just routine. You go into the clinic, you see your patients, you come out. Um, it's about how much money you make. It's about how much your net profit is. It's about, oh, which car are you going to buy? Um, what clothes you're going to wear, who are you hobnobbing with, what kind of important person you are, 
I was really, really bored of all of that because it just did not stimulate me intellectually. And there were other, I reckoned at that time that there were other aspects to my brain and to my life that I needed to explore. Um, if if you, you're Indian, but you left India at, at a very young age, right? Yeah, uh, I was a baby. I grew up in yes. Sydney. Yeah, so you, you are Australian, might. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I grew up in India, so, and, and at that time at least, uh, growing up in the 80s, um, you chose a career path and you stuck to it, and then you did not deviate um, until you were old and gray and dead, I suppose. Um, and then through that, you um, you made some money, you got married, you you produced children, and then just carried on. Mm. It was a... It, it, very it linear path. Very set path, yes. Yeah. It was just, you just did not deviate from that. And that is how I was brought up to, to be as well. But um, I've always been a restless person. I've always, well, restless, rebellious. I had always had many, many questions to ask for about many things. And nobody really had the answers because you're not supposed to ask questions. Um, and all of that together, when I got the chance to move to New Zealand, uh, to me, it was a new country uh, where I could do pretty much whatever I liked in terms of my career. Um, and if I failed, I failed. Because, if you know, back in India, if you fail, you're a failure. But if here in New Zealand, um, and I'm, I'm thinking it's pretty much the same in Australia as well, if you fail, it's just a stepping stone to uh, a new experience. Look, the, the way I see it is that there's a generational aspect of this as well. Um, in yeah. India, I would say in in a society like India where the population is so dense, there's so much more competition, it's a little bit slower to pick up on these things. So, you know, you look at um, you look at movies like Three Idiots where there's this, this whole thing. That's an Indian movie for anyone yes. listening who doesn't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> a brilliant movie, mind you. Um, everyone should watch it. But that movie kind of explores this idea of that change that happens in the mentality of um, academia where people are very much defined, their identity is very much attached to how successful they are by academic measures as opposed to, you know, reveling and exploring their own creativity wow. or really, you know, tapping into their own unique sort of inner gifts as opposed to just doing what society expects them to do, which might be become a doctor, engineer, lawyer, just because that's what the more impressive thing to do is. I would say that, uh, you know, Australia, I can't speak for New Zealand, to be honest with you, but New Zealand's a little bit more of a young country, but quite probably, um, you know, in New Zealand as well, there was a time when those problems still happened. But I think that transition of going from, you know, being very much uh, bureaucratic, aristocratic, you know, designing your life in a way that was meant to yeah. impress people, to keep up with the Joneses, that transition from that to allowing a little bit more space to live your life on your own terms and not necessarily follow a template lifestyle has just happened a little bit before it started uh, happening in India. It's but not it's still yet happening. happening. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I would say it's still two generations ahead in terms of that over here in New Zealand. Because when I started talking about all these things, I've, I've lived in New Zealand for 12 and a 12 years and four months. Um, and this was when I started talking about this, or I would imagine things like that. 
when I used to live in India, nobody really knew what I was talking about because you just couldn't do these things. So um, when I watched Three Idiots, I'm saying, I, I said to myself that, um, hey, this is me, but I'm 25 years ahead of you, <laughs> you know, uh, because I've actually gone and done this. I'm not just talking about it. Um, yeah, so when I moved to New Zealand, I was, I was just ready to, to start fresh. Um, and I, I love writing, I love movies. Um, I've always imagined myself as um, not the glamour part of it, but the learning part of it. Um, and so I enrolled at the University of Auckland to initially to do a postgraduate diploma. And then I applied for film school because I wanted to be a screenwriter and I was not accepted, um, which is quite um, gutting. It was really, I was, I was really upset about that. Mm. But uh, I just then went on to carry on my postgrad diploma and convert it into a master's degree, um, write a thesis, um, a dissertation, not a thesis. And um, I came out of that feeling really, really enriched because I had learned so much. I had always imagined these things. I had always, I, I, for example, I did a paper like feminist film theory. Um, there's nothing like that that would growing up as um, you know um, in an English school, going to an English school, and then following the career path that is meant to take you through medical school. There's nothing over there that's going to that's going to inform you about such theories. I had always imagined them. I had always I just didn't know how to articulate that. But when I started doing these papers and studying that, it was just like oh my gosh, there is such um there's so much else going on in in the world and there's so many different ways of looking at things um and my discomfort came from not knowing these things so i really really loved what i was doing and and coming back to medicine now after that 12 year break which i am back to start being a gp now um i can use all of that knowledge and applied to when I talk to my patients, um, because I think I'm looking at them in different ways and not just the prescribed way, because medicine is really, really so logical and evidence-based. But when you talk about socioeconomic aspects and when you talk about media, how that influences people to eat certain foods and drink certain fizzy drinks, um, I can look at it, all of that now through two lenses. So. That's, that's, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, no, no, like I, I'm totally with you there. I, I guess obviously endeavoring into any kind of space that is beyond what you know is going to increase your emotional intelligence, social intelligence, yeah. self-awareness, perception, everything. I'm very curious to ask you about you, the point that you made a decision of coming to New Zealand and yeah. then um, moving from, shifting from medicine to, you know, doing your master's in film, television, media studies. So two parts to this question. Firstly, did that happen at exactly the same time? Secondly, um, I'm, I'm wondering how, you know, a kind of cognitive dissonance came into this or a cognitive bias came into this, because I know a lot of people in India who want to leave the country, not in the typical way of expecting that, you know, there's this magically, they're going to become rich if they go to a Western country. Not that, but yeah. people who are, are doing well enough in India, but they have a desperation to get away from the corruption, to get away from the noise, to get yeah. away from the... Just the, you know, it's a different way of professionalism and working in India, which um, 
some would argue is not very professional at all. Yeah, and, and they want to. Yeah, exactly. And they want to come to a country where supposedly things are a little bit more organized, a little bit more structured, and a little bit more professional, and therefore a little bit more, um, you know, aligned with what they believe has more integrity and more values. And I often have these conversations with people. I say, look, you know, if you're in the state of desperation to wanting to shift, then you're going to just by virtue of cognitive dissonance, the way the brain works, you're going to see more of what you don't like yes. in your current situation, and you're going to see a lot more of what you do like in, the, you know, the grass is going to be greener on the other side, and you're going to focus on that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't problems and benefits on both sides of the um, of the fields of yeah. the fence. So w- what I'm curious about is you said or you alluded to that you wanted to leave medicine because you were sick and tired of the culture of affluenza, people trying to yes. impress each other with the fancy cars and how much money they make. That's what medicine was becoming about. But what made you attribute that to medicine and not just the working culture in India? Because you well, d- you changed your country and you changed your career, in essence, at the same time. Yes, I did. Um, it was just... A, it was just um, rather serendipitous, if I may say so, is that um, I knew as a doctor I was not going to get a job in New Zealand, not be able to practice medicine. Right. I had been trying to move overseas for some time because there, there was the other pathway was to um, sit these exams. <laughs> the other pathway was to sit the exams and, and then start practicing as a doctor in the United States or in the UK. Uh, New Zealand was not conducting um, exams at that time. So I knew that when I moved over here, and I, I got in through the family quota because my sister used to live here, mm-hmm. and she's now living in Australia, but um, she used to live here, and so I got it through the family quota. Um, and when I came here, I knew I could not practice medicine, which is when I jumped at the opportunity to just go back to university and, and learn something that I always imagined. Um, I did not know you could actually, when I was looking at, at um, different things to study um, and my family were discussing it, you know, with me, um, as Indian families do, yeah, oh, good, yeah. Um, what are you going to do? You know, look for a, a course in science because you're a doctor, so <coughs> something related to that. But when I was just casually going through um, other, other alternatives and I saw uh, something to do with film, TV and media studies, that just jumped out at me because I I had no idea you could actually do this. Um, that it, that you could have all the things that you always, I could have all the things that I imagined about fit into one course. Um, you There's the film school in Pune, which is the FTII, yeah. uh, film, tele, film, television, something, something institute. But you had to drop everything and go over there, and then after that, there was no guarantee that you would ever get any work. And not that I was uh, particularly impressed with either um, the workings of the Hindi film industry or the television industry there. Um, so I, I would not have ever done that. I would not have been brave enough to do it. But I could over here, and I did. That is one thing. It's, it's serendipitous that I was imagining these things. I was thinking about what else I can do, and then I managed to... I, I came to New Zealand and I managed to see this somehow and I got into the, I was accepted into it, into the course. So that is one thing. The second thing, cognitive dissonance. Now, because I had, I never really had any because I was, I was starting on a clean slate. 
So I was up for good experiences and bad experiences. Uh, I would say they were mostly good because I was just not looking at anything. I, I am of the mindset that any experience is always a positive experience. Um, I have waited on tables during that time. I've waited on tables. I have, um, you know, distributed discount vouchers on Queen Street, which is the main hub or CBD of Auckland. Right. I have distributed discount vouchers for $10 an hour. I have waited on tables for $10 an hour. Um, I have, I almost had um, a job at McDonald's. <laughs> First time ever, I prayed really, really hard that I don't want this job. Please give me something else, dear God. Because <laughs> I was, I was at um, such a desperate level that I was not getting any jobs at all. Hmm. That I, um, that a friend of mine, she, she used to recruit people, and she said, "Why don't I? Why don't you just start working at McDonald's? It's shitty, but it's really really you know it's not what you want to do but at least start something yeah. and i went there for a trial and just the side of the food and the whole you know the working culture and everything and i'm politically you know i i am anti mcdonald's and i'm socially and health wise and everything and i'm thinking to myself when i came out that dear yeah. dear god please please can i get another job yeah it's like you <laughs> like you're going from a position of healing people to a position of killing people <laughs> i know and, and pretty much um, uh, on the student job search at university, there was a, a new job pretty much that same day that um, was asking somebody to distribute discount vouchers on Queen Street. Mm -hmm. So tell me this, in, in all of these experiences of doing yeah. menial jobs, there's inevitably, um, inevitably you reach a point where your ego comes into it because you've come from a position of getting all these accolades. And I talk about this quite often that, you know, I was in medical school and, I remember I got into medical school very naturally. It's not something I had been planning for years. It yeah. happened quite um, quite suddenly. This was after my undergrad. Uh, I got into a graduate medical school, and I was almost a little bit surprised at how much respect and um, you know appreciation and accolades I was getting from uh, family friends and friends and just community in general. Yeah. To the point where it started to rub off on me a little bit. And I think, I, you know, there was definitely a point where um, it did give me a little bit of a big head uh, until, of course, you start medical school and you realize everyone's in the same boat and yes. everyone's messed up in their own ways. <laughs> and then when I dropped out, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my immediate family, you know, has been always very supportive and very open-minded, very progressive. But uh, without a doubt, I had family friends who, you know, really just gave me a lot of shit for it. And they said, you know, why would you do that? Why would you throw away something that's yeah. so cool and prestigious and secure and, and safe? And I was, you know, basically too exhausted because of my experiences to try and explain to them that, no, there was actually, it was completely unsafe. It was completely, um, there was no dignity in it because I was doing something that I just wasn't feeling any connection with, any safety yeah. with at that level. There was just a whole bunch of reasons. But then... You know, people think that I had this moment of awakening, I had a near-death experience, and then my life flashed before my eyes, and all of a sudden I knew that that's not what I wanted to do, and naturally I knew what I wanted to do. But there, but really what happened was there was this period of um, transition of being completely lost. And in that abyss of not really knowing where I was coming from to not really knowing where I was going, yeah, um, there was 
you know, an immense space for self-doubt and insecurity and, and all of that. And I had my ways of dealing with it. So I guess I'm wondering if you experienced that space as well, where you had all those uh, sentiments. And if so, how did you deal with it? And if not, then how did you avoid having those feelings? Well, I, I have periods and moments of self-doubt even now. Uh, and does not necessarily have to do with my career choice. It's just because of, because I do what I do in my personal life as well, you know, I've always done what I believe I should be doing. Um, and it, which is, which is, um, you know, is it, not uh, what... Doesn't conform to. Yes, it's yeah. not, it's not conforming. It, it's not what traditional culture um, want you to do. Um, so I, I still have that, but um, at that time, it was very interesting. It taught me a lot about um, about myself and human beings. Um, yes, because, you know, you are a doctor back in India. You have a classic upper middle class. You believe in certain things, and this is how you should live your life, and you should have enough, and you should have domestics around you. And There's a lot of shoulds. So. Yeah, all the shoulds, of course, all yeah. the shoulds. Um, and when I came over here and started doing these jobs, um, I would meet a lot of people uh, who would say to me, so what do you do? And I, I'd go like, oh, I'm, um, I'm doing film team and media studies at university. These are Indians, right? Um, and, but you're a doctor. And I would say, so what? I'm doing this. And then they would, they would or, or rather, I would say, I would change that to, I, I forgot to inform people that I'm a doctor. <laughs> They would just say, what are, you, what are you doing, film, TV, and media studies? And then they would say, oh, my son is a computer engineer. Or, you know, yeah. my son is doing biomechanical engineering. And I would, uh, to me, it, it taught me a lot about myself, is that I do not really, to be um, a person of, um, and be able to do what I want to do, and uh, somebody of integrity, I did not have to have any titles. I did not have to be... Uh, a highly regarded professional person where other people think I'm important um, and I just had to pretty much use those same measures for other human beings as well so I should not be weighing another human being based on whether they are a politician or computer engineer or whether they are a doctor or what kind of car they drive but on whether this person um, is honest truthful has integrity and lives life according to whatever values are universally applicable so that's that's how I, that is what i learned i think um, that's such a great message and it's so important and I'm, I'm actually to be honest with you i'm a little bit emotional hearing that because it makes me think of this experience that i had which i've yeah. never shared with anyone before um offline or on air or you oh, know, do in recording so I, I used to work at this rec center, which, you know, my friends know, and there's nothing embarrassing about that. It was basically at the time period when I was recovering from uh, my surgery yeah. and I had deferred my, my study with medicine. So before I had actually uh, left medical school, I was still enrolled yeah. and there was a period of time where I just wasn't really absolutely sure if I was going back or not, but yeah. I was I was pretty sure that I would go back and I, you know, just needed something to do to pass the time. Um, and until I did go back and I needed some pocket money and yeah. I, I was living at home, which was fine. And just up the road from my place, there was um, there was a gym and a recreation center and it happened to be the gym that I trained at. So I gave them my CV 
um, even though I kind of felt overqualified for it, which yeah. I, I mentioned that because it's important to the story as well. And I started working there. <clears throat> and I remember I would get, you know, like you, you'd have, you know, some nice experiences with people that you worked with, there were some students there, like high school students. There were some um, older people there who were uh, a little bit frustrated at their at their jobs because they were, you know, for whatever reasons. And there were all these yeah. different personalities. And then there were personalities on the other side of the counter, the customers yeah. who would come up to you. And most of the time they were very nice people. But this was a pretty affluent kind of area and you know I used to work um, at time periods where there would be sort of mothers groups who would go to the gym and then come out and have you know coffee sitting around and yeah um, there were also people who were uh, quite sort of affluent professionals um, that would come with their family to hire out uh, basketball courts or badminton courts and play yeah. some sports activities and you would get people every now and then who were actually quite um, condescending for lack of a better word in the way yeah. that they would uh, you know talk to him and i remember having so many moments where i would get you know a shitty customer that would come up to me and i would basically you know handle the conflict quite well because it's something i've always been quite good at yeah and <clears throat> then you know as the tension kind of diminished um they would ask me like you know about myself you work here full time what do you do and in that, I, I had this, it's like I had this dialogue prepared in my mind that I was yeah. just waiting for the perfect opportunity to let it loose. That, no, 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 don't be ridiculous. I'm a medical student. I'm yeah. going to be a doctor. Yeah. You know, so in your yeah. face, you know, yeah. suck, sucked in um, how, how much of a fool you are to yeah. stand here, be condescending towards me because yeah. I work, uh, you know, behind a counter doing customers, you know, at the time, yeah. my ego was saying this menial, pathetic customer service job. Yes, that's um, right. When in actual fact, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. Look at me, I'm a hotshot. And then I remember <laughs> when I actually started coming closer to the realization that I wasn't going to go back. Yeah. But I also didn't know what I was going to do. I was still there. I was still <laughs> in that job. <laughs> and I would still have those experiences, except I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have that dialogue to fall back on. Yeah, <laughs> and it broke me up inside. It really, really hurt. That shit. I was, I was such an asshole in my own mind. I wasn't an asshole to anyone. It didn't, you know. It probably didn't come across as arrogant or obnoxious when I said it. But in my head, the conversations I was having with myself, it was, it was really pathetic. And yeah. there is absolutely nothing wrong with. Obviously, like now, I you know completely appreciate. There's nothing wrong with working in customer service behind a counter or any job. No. Um, but that was, you know, a massive manifestation of my insecurities that took me a long time to get over. Yeah, because we are all conditioned to believe in certain ways, you know, is, is if you are, if you are um, a, a doctor or if you are an engineer or if you are, I don't know, some important business person, entrepreneur, um, you automatically attach human values to that career. Uh, when actually it's not true. You could be the crappiest person on the planet. Um, that doesn't make you a good person. However, it's not so much about being poor also, which I learned because nobody likes to be poor, you know. Mm. It's, not, it's not a great state to be in. Um, it's about how you live your life, even with that, with the very little money, uh, with, with dignity. 
I, I, it's it's an overused term, but no, no, that's beautiful. Very good. Yeah, please go on. Yeah, it's it's about um, just because you don't have money, it does not mean that you have to be dependent on um, other people helping you all the time because you can still help yourself um, and move on. Um, am I making any sense? Absolutely, it really is yeah, a mindset. Yeah. Being whether you're I'm, rich or poor doesn't actually have everything to do with how much money you have in the bank. Yeah, that's right. And um, so I, I learned to maximize resources, like how to how to use the library, you know, the public transport, um, all these things. Um, I learned to um, to um, how do I say? Um, I learned to recycle things inside my head. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I think, look, I think it's the age-old thing of, you know, being resourceful is more useful yes. than having more resources. A yeah. person who, you know, can um, can can learn how to fish is, is, is going to be much better off than the person who just has 100 fish stored up because eventually those fish are going to run out. Run out, true. But that yeah. quality of being able to go out there and create more, this is what they say, the most successful entrepreneurs, I mean, this is, you know, a very key lesson to optimizing business as well, that how important the mindset of, successful entrepreneurs in the in regards to they know that if they were to lose everything in a flash for whatever reason they could build it up again (laughs) which is why you know money is a great uh, it's a great way to keep score and it can certainly buy you a lot of things that make you happy but as an end result as an end goal or as um, as a sort of target to work towards when you're trying to build whether it's your business or leadership or just life in general uh, it's actually a very, very poor quality goal to have. Oh yeah, I mean you can't you can't measure people by how much money they have. Um, and I, I I was on the dole as well. Um, after I finished my master's degree, uh, nobody wants to give a job to a brown-skinned person just come out of media school. Hmm. Uh, because I'm, I was not really understanding how. Well, they assumed, the people who were the employers assumed that I was not really understanding how New Zealand media works. Yeah. Uh, I am brown. I speak with this mixed Kiwi, New Zealand, um, Indian accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were really no jobs for me. And I would I would freelance a lot, um, go on the dole in between. Um, but being on the dole was not... It's not a happy place to be. It's not good for your self-esteem. It's not. Um, it makes you really helpless because when you are talking to people, um, your case managers at, at work um, at Wins, Work and Income New Zealand. Um, I'm sure you have something similar in Australia as well. Yeah, we um, have. We we do. Yeah. Um, they don't really talk well to you because you're supposed to be this idiot who. Um, just doesn't know how the system works and don't want to do a job and um yeah typically it's the same here as well i've I've heard a lot of stories like that yeah um and so um which i did not like only because the other person was not treating me that well and that is where i suppose that is where your ego comes in is that i'm gonna get out of this situation um because i am really good at what i do um and the only way i can do it is is work harder and better um kind of like a, a capitalist sort of um, I guess sentiment to have the w- working harder and better than other people mm. but it's also but it, it does work to a certain level because 
when you have to prove yourself, you have to figure out how you're going to do it um, and then shape yourself accordingly. And that is how I managed to get all my freelance jobs. And, and in the end, I was producing a lot of stuff for Radio New Zealand. Yeah, and you produce your own show as well, right? Yeah. Radio yes. Live. And, yes. and you produced and directed a documentary film and you produced and wrote a short film. That's and, right. And, and I want to I talk about that. But just before we continue on to that, there's a question that's been on my mind that I want to ask yeah. you. Slightly playing devil's advocate um, to something that you said earlier, which is that being having a successful career or having a lot of money doesn't necessarily make you a good person. And yes. this is a philosophical um, point of contention that I have often toyed with for years. Now, at the moment, I, I have a pretty clear stand on, on where I am with this. But I'll play devil's advocate so that you get an idea of the other side of the argument. And yeah. that is that if you have a successful career and yeah. you have a, um, you know, you have a lot of money in the bank and you have a fancy car and you have a big house, you might not be a very nice person. You might not be a very good person. You might be unethical. You might be an asshole. You might be someone that, you know, not many people like. But you might be happy. Yes. You, you might, you might be, be perfectly happy. happy. You might be actually quite fulfilled um, yes. being a, a bit of a prick. <laughs> but so, so what's, what's more important? Why should people care about being a good person? I think uh, it's basic human quality is to be compassionate and empathetic towards others. Um, because we all live, we don't live in isolation. We all live in, in a society. We all live with each other. Um, so which means to me anyway that the basic, um, a basic requirement of living with each other in a social um, setup is to, to have compassion and empathy. And uh, that is absolutely against self. Uh, happiness can be very selfish. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you. I'm not saying people should not be happy. Of course, they should be happy. I mean, it's a, it's a good goal to 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 aim for. But but happiness is not something that you can measure, um, and happiness does not come just by accumulating stuff for yourself or just thinking about yourself and everybody else can go to hell because I I am making money. I am doing what I have to do. I'm eating good food. I'm traveling. I'm wearing lovely clothes. And everybody else can, you know, just go to hell. Is there's no happiness is not complete without compassion. That's what I'm saying. Um, <coughs> does that make any sense to you? It, it makes sense. Um, and I was I was trying to come up with uh, with a challenge to that, and it's difficult because to me it seems like the most natural thing in the world. I, I guess actually, what I'm really asking is, what is the point of Let's say someone's listening to this, right? Let's take a practical yeah. example. Someone's listening to this episode and they're saying, you know what, um, I'm doing all right for myself. I've got a Mercedes or a Jaguar in the garage. I've got a nice house and I've got a, I've got a nice job. It's, it's kind of stressful. But when I go out with my friends, I get to you know, talk about the latest gadget I've bought. I get to talk about my fancy car or show it off when I'm driving it in. I yeah. get to talk about my job and like I'm okay. That, that, makes, me, that makes me happy enough. Yeah. Why should I make a, con a conscious effort to, um, to to practice detachment from that? Why should I bother? Why should I bother separating myself or my sense of identity from all of those material things and actually exploring this notion of, uh, you know, being something that transcends your material possessions or accomplishments? What's the point? Why? 
because eventually it's just going to be beneficial for you. Um, I suppose I'm I'm not a very good advocate of, of why somebody else should be compassionate, but um, and why should they bother and, and look at the benefit of it all? Because I'm I'm safe in my what I'm doing and I'm, with all my money and my gadgets. Um, but eventually, if 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 you're talking about degrees of of um, happiness, that is going to plateau at some point, and then it's going to go downwards. That's just how human nature is that is how life is that is just how your brain is going to function so all you're going to do is you're just going to um just drop off in 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 terms of what your happiness index is going to be um it, it's not going to be of any benefit to you in the long run i don't know does that make sense it does make sense that's yes. that's kind of how i feel as well and sometimes sometimes i challenge myself on that point and i think am i just trying to convince myself you know, if there are people out there who are um, who are happy, then who am I to say that their happiness is inevitably going to plateau? Who am I to? Because I agree with you. Um, in, intuitively, I agree with you. Intuitively, I feel yeah. that there's a limit that it, it gets hit um, in terms of fulfillment, and people can have a whole bunch of success, but if they don't know how to couple that with a sense of humility and, I guess, spiritual groundedness. Yeah. then their success will fall short of actually feeling fulfilled. And then eventually they'll get to their life where if they've spent too much time hanging in that place of being attached to their career or their accomplishments or their possessions, then they're going to not really know how to deal with it when that inevitable situation arises of, you know, basically being forced to confront their um, their uh, their their inner wealth or their inner uh, yeah. lack lack of wealth. But then, yeah, I, but yeah it's, a, it's a very deep philosophical thing. It's a bit of a rabbit hole, actually. It is. Uh, but haven't you actually encountered people in that position who are also, or who also consider themselves to be spiritual? And mind you, I'm trying here not to, not to, um, because I know a lot of people like that. And I'm, I'm, I, I try very hard not to be egoistical about, oh, I'm spiritual, but, you know, because I'm compassionate. But mm. you are spiritual, but you're not compassionate. And that is... Um, a failing in itself uh, I just let them be because <laughs> if they're happy in their sphere of being spiritual um, and doing all the above material uh, okay I think you're referring <laughs> to what we were talking about the other day yes where <laughs> a particular well I, I won't go into too many details no, uh, I don't uh, want to embarrass anyone but no. <laughs> yes but there are definitely some people in the world who claim to be spiritual uh, who are actually caught up in rituals that make them feel uh, make them feel spiritual or they can convince themselves that they're spiritual because you know they have um, they have certain rituals and procedures and protocols and processes that uh, that make them feel look yeah. I think I think I think I told you this the other day and I'll say this for the benefit of the listeners just so that our conversation is not completely self-indulgent <laughs> <laughs> I think in my mind the point of uh, the point of this conversation, exploring your journey, exploring my journey, yeah. is really that the value of being a spiritual person is that it creates an anchor to, um, to, to a sense of self that transcends anything that is transient. Because yes. at the end of the day, so this is my actual take on the question that I was asking you as a devil's advocate, is that when you're attached to material possessions, when you're attached to titles, labels, accomplishments, all of those things, 
they all have an expiry date. Yes. But more importantly, um, they have a uh, a renewability to them if you keep working on them, and that causes a lot of stress because it's not something that can transcend time and space. So, for example, if you're a doctor, you get when you get into medical school, you get a certain high and a buzz from being attached to all the accolades and pats on the back that you get from people who say that, wow, that's amazing, you know, you got into medical school, congratulations. And I know that because I speak from first-hand experience. Yes, yes. But that high wears off. <laughs> and it when does. The, the it, moment it, you have your first exam and you don't know shit. That's right, it's gone, <laughs> it's finished. And then nobody cares about you. There's like, you know, how many, for how long can people really, you know, sit in a position uh, giving you applause? And even if they do, even if they do, it stops meaning the same thing to you. So you start looking for that next shot of validation from something else. And if let's just use the example of a career in medicine, um, it's just it's just one superficial example. But, you know, once you do that, then it's about your graduation. And, and typically what I've seen amongst my friends who are doctors, that four years in between getting into medical school and starting your internship or four to six years, whatever it is, it's just it's hell. Like unless you meet a new person who gets impressed for a moment that you're becoming yeah. a doctor it doesn't mean anything then when you go and get a job then it might mean something but then you're chasing well, a specialization not or the first year of internship though because <laughs> exactly well you know that because you know you've kind of been in that position but for some people yeah. from the outside they would think that all of those milestones that you're hitting it yeah. becomes like a shot in the arm that gives you that little bit more of a high but then you're just constantly chasing there's no there's no inner peace to that because you're constantly chasing the next high that is dependent on somebody else's validation. And I would argue, as funny as this sounds, um, it is it is actually directly parallel to that situation of you going to the government office, talking to a caseworker about getting your doll. Yeah. Because just as that person is dependent on somebody else making you feel safe and secure someone who seemingly has a, you know, quote unquote, prestigious position or a fancy house and car is also dependent on other people making sure that they feel safe and secure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the six bedroom house and the Rolls Royce in my at the front. Well, yeah, I need I need others to validate that. <laughs> Not just having it is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Very profound. Um, kind of conversation to go into. I'm, yeah, I'm glad we, yeah, yeah. we talked about that. Just taking a real quick break here to let you know if you're still listening. Um, that's great. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. Uh, we still got a bit to go, but I just want to take a quick break to remind everyone that if you've enjoyed the episode so far, if at least you've enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and subscribe, uh, leave a rating, leave a review. It really helps the show keep going. It really keeps me motivated personally, but also logistically. It just helps get the word out there and so more people can actually enjoy the show and keep listening to it and supporting it. So I appreciate your support. And uh, we're going to move on to talk about a couple of other things now with Sapna. Um, stay tuned. So you, yeah. you describe yourself as... You know, even what you actually sent me, you describe yourself as a free-spirited soul, wanderer, dreamer, a deliberate exile. Um, I would kind of put you into that category a little bit jokingly, but a little bit seriously as well as um, a semi-hippie constantly exploring your, you know, esoteric side uh, or your spiritual side. 
yes, how mind do you, you yeah. mind you the hippie term though is very interestingly apl applied only to uh, talking about spirituality and compassion and the materialism that we were before <laughs> that applies only to people who have actually been through all of that and somehow feel that um, trying to behave like poor people from developing nations is the way to be. <laughs> oh well, yeah, that's right. Then, I think so. That the term hippie. Well, I'll, I'll still, I'll still take it. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean I understand where you're coming from. I think it's probably a generational thing that the stereotype yeah. of what a hippie means is kind of changing yeah. a little bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's why I'll take it. Thank yeah, you. Um, but but I didn't necessarily mean it as a compliment. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I just I just meant it as a completely objective um, label. <laughs> but my I point is that you're faith. a doctor. You obviously have some faith in medicine. But I know yeah. from, um, you know, from our friendship and our normal conversations uh, off, you know, outside of this uh, context, we've talked many times about, you know, alternative healing and um, sort of energetic work and yeah. things that are looked down upon and very much pushed away from mainstream medicine. Yeah. What's your experience of consolidating these two worlds of, you know, allopathic medicine and exploring the alternative esoteric things that can't necessarily be um, presented with the scientific method? Yeah, I discovered something. Well, I, I stumbled across something many years ago called Vipassana meditation. Mm hmm. Um, this was at a time in my life back in India, um, 1996 when I was really, really restless and I was looking for, um, I was looking for an anchor. Uh, not in books, not in, I'm, I'm, I'm not a particularly religious person in, in terms of um, going to temples and, you know, I don't know, praying in front of God or whatever, because to me, the whole world, the whole universe is a temple. So I don't have to specifically go somewhere. So I'm not religious in that sense, but I was, I was looking for something. And um, I came across this meditation technique called Vipassana, which is um, was discovered by Gautam Buddha many, many, well, 2,500 plus years ago. Mm. And um, I decided to give it a, a shot. It was 10 days of retreat uh, where you are completely isolated. It's complete silence. And all you have to do is, is learn the technique of meditation, of that particular meditation. Yeah. Um, no mumbo jumbo, there are no mantras, there are no uh, rituals, there are no um, things to do. All you have to do is sit and meditate. So, sorry, just to be clear, um, was this actually a retreat or was it the course? Because I know Vipassana has the 10-day yes, course. Yes, so it it's the 10-day the, the, the course, which you, to people who don't understand it, which is why I use the word retreat. Mm -hmm. Uh, because when I explain it, when I have explained it to people over here, they they end up calling it a retreat still, and I don't have the heart to, or the energy to sit and differentiate. Okay, I'll um, I'll, I'll make sure that in the show notes I add some links because yeah. this is something I really care about. It's um it's it's excellent. It's very impressive. So it's it's good. I'm glad that people are having an opportunity to learn about vipassana. So please continue. Yes. So vipassana meditation and um, I uh. So when um, Goenka Ji, uh, who passed away last year, um, mm. he would have his evening lectures after you finished a hard day's work at, at learning how to meditate. Um, this was not about him. 
this was not about him being a guru or this was not about him being a cult leader or anything like that. This was him just explaining how Vipassana works on the human mind and the body. And I have never found anything more scientific than that. All he's talking about is how, and this was something that Buddha, Gautam Buddha came upon after his hard work at trying to understand how to release and unshackle the human mind was that our body is made up of um, tiny molecules, well, you know, particles which are tinier than molecules, and they're in constant motion, which we all know from our study of physics. And when we do certain things, because we do have senses um, and the same, you know, the organs, mm. when we do certain things, when we think of certain things, those particles change their movement which is how we get the feelings of, of happiness and sadness. And, and then our mind gets attached to those feelings. Um, and the basis of Vipassana is to actually break that attachment. Um, I'm not explaining it really well, but... Um, no, I think you're doing a good job. This is the scientific basis to the human body. Yeah. Is there anything more scientific than understanding that our body is made up of tiny particles? Mm. because we are part of the universe and the universe is made up of tiny particles. Yeah, um, and I, I want to add to that as well that some people believe that this is a, uh, actually controversial or a point of contention, but it's not. There, There's plenty of actual scientific evidence yes. uh, that supports this. It's not It's not really a theory. It is um, it, it is actually fact. It's, it's what you've learned. Yeah, yeah. And so when those, as we know, when particles move, like I said, it, it generates feelings because they change the direction of movement and things like that. Mm. But we also know that when particles move, they create energy. Um, and then that energy can either be positive or negative, depending on how the human mind, which is also full of particles and, and movement, um, organizes that energy. So you, if you're, if you're, hating the misery that is inside of you, you are generating negative energy. If you are attached to the happiness that is inside of you, eventually you're going to get so attached to the happiness that when that doesn't happen, you're still going to get miserable. Hmm. <laughs> um, and you're going to generate negative energy. So the only way to generate positive energy is to try and not be attached to either of these, either to misery or happiness. And, and energy ultimately is what um, is the essence of the universe, particles and energy. So alternative healing is, while there is no specific evidence for it, and many times works as a placebo, to me, as long as it is working, uh, and as long as you're doing other things that are important to make sure that you're feeling okay, then why not? I mean, you can't have a bunch of crystals in, in a hospital room, uh, of a patient who's um, got cancer, you know, uh, you have to, that is supplement, supplementing or augmenting your, maybe your chemotherapy, radiotherapy, surgery, and all these other things. Um, but if it's also going to add to the energy of making this person feel better, why not? It doesn't mean that you believe in superstitions and, you know, you do the whole, um, fill up the world with ignorance. No, what, what, what I, for me, I, I am a doctor, so which means I, I pretty much use evidence-based medicine and medical practices, best practice, mm. to treat my patients. And that is required of me, and there is no deviation from that. But if somebody says to me, 
uh, that, you know, she um, would like to go to church every Sunday because it makes her feel better. Uh, why not? I'm not going to say to her that why are you going and wasting your time in church. If that is going to help in the healing process of this person, uh, I will encourage that. If, if I, I actively encourage people to do yoga. Um, I actively encourage people to just do breathing exercises. Um, just, you know, if nothing else, I, I say just have a moment of stillness in your day. Mm -hmm. You don't do anything. You do, try not to think of anything. But instead, look around you and try to appreciate stuff around you, um, which is still alternative, isn't it? It's not. There's no evidence, um, or there is evidence, but it's not widely known that this this is how it is. Yeah, that it's helpful. So why not? I mean, I think the way that I see it is people probably have this idea that when doctors say what you have just said, most doctors what they mean is that oh yeah sure I mean you know you can you can go do whatever makes you feel better. As long as you come back and listen to what I say, because this is what's actually going to heal you. And I think they say that because um, in, you know, what we call, quote unquote, mainstream medicine, which is, yeah. I mean, that, that in itself is a very loose term. But in mainstream medicine, there is a very distinct separation between mind, body and spirit. And, yes. you know, there's a focus that we need to treat the, uh, treat the body. And that relationship between the mind, body and the spirit is very... Um, you know, very, very loose, very intangible, um, very sort of against evidence-based thinking, evidence-based logic. Therefore, we're just going to focus on the body and, and do what we can to fix the body, even if that, you know, causes more harm than good sometimes. Well, actually, interestingly, in New Zealand, we have, um, because these, these um, medical practices have been used for so long and have widespread acceptance, hmm. uh, within the Maori world over here, you know, the indigenous peoples of New Zealand, um, they have, um, because they feel that, you know, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, because Maori have been treated to this West Western form of medicine and healing for so long, um, many times we've not had success stories. Many times um, we found it really hard, uh, especially in terms of mental health. Uh -huh. Um, and so now there's a specific um, health um, agencies or there's specific health holistic techniques for health that are aimed towards Maori and now even towards Pacific Islanders because we have a substantial population uh, is to, to talk to them not only in their own languages but also to talk to them um, through the spiritual aspects of their cultures. Oh wow! Okay, that's really yeah, fascinating. Yes, so um, it's still not well. It's still not widely accepted, but it, it's it's gaining. Um, it's not widely practiced, I would say, but it's gaining acceptance because even as doctors, we realize uh, that it's medicine is not or, or ill health uh, is not uh, does not occur in isolation with everything else around you. Yeah. You are connected to your environment, you're connected to your land, you're connected to other people, you're connected to the food that you eat, um, the house that you live in, the job that you have, um, the education that you've had or not had, and things like that. So um, it, it's slowly, slowly changing, but in terms of, um, because gathering evidence about that will take a really long time to have a solid body of evidence. But for Maori and Pacific Islanders, we over here we do have 
especially related to mental health, we have a lot of um, agencies and health practitioners who are working towards, you know, in, in the spiritual world of that. Um, not, not, not with not a lot of success because it's quite hard, but um, it's happening. So something that often overlaps with uh, talking about health and, and wellness, it seems to be the case uh, in, in all the conversations I've had so far. Uh, we tend to very often talk a little bit about health and wellness because everyone these days, it seems, has an opinion about it. And obviously your opinion is that much more respected because you are a professional uh, in, yeah. the, in the health work. But I'm also um, I'm also curious to talk to you about your own journey with your wellness in terms of relationships, because this is something um, I, I love discussing with uh, people who have kind of unconventional uh, pathways and unconventional belief systems around this. And you're someone who's definitely uh, been non-conforming to not only what is expected of women in general, but especially being someone who is an Indian woman having grown up in India. Yes. Uh, in Indian society, and probably I would say even more specific elements of the particular community that you grew up in, um, you you grew up um, sort of uh, single. You, you you chose not to get married, uh, as yes. I understand, and you you know you copped a lot of flack for that as well. Uh, I was just wondering if you could share your share your story about that about that decision that you made, or how you came to that, and then of course what I'm really interested in is. Um, how you actually dealt with the pressure? Oh, how do I deal with pressure? You should see my gray hair. I color it. No, kidding. <laughs> 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 uh, and yeah, well, I've, first of all, let me make it clear. I've, I've chosen to be single at this moment, not because I don't want to be in a relationship. It's just um, a default situation because it... it to me, uh, if I want to be in a relationship, it should be with somebody I really, really want to be in a relationship and not for the sake of it. That is, so let me get that out of the way. Okay. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I was, um, how do I say, when I was growing up in India and I was of marriageable age, um, I had a boyfriend at that time and in those days you just had to get married to the boyfriend that you have. Um, there's no two ways about it um, mm. um, and we did get engaged but um, it was just not working out it was just it was just not I mean it was never gonna work out it was just wrong and so I broke it off um, and I faced a lot of flack for it because females in those days females did not break their engagement mm. um, so um, I, yes, I had to go through the whole, um, what I call was the let's get Sapna married project. <laughs> so I, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to talk a little bit about this because a lot of people who listen to the show are not from India, they're not even Indian, they're not even necessarily Eastern, and to them they might find this very strange, they might find this very wrong, they might find this very backward, um, they may have a lot of uh, judgments or preconceived notions if they have seen a couple of Bollywood films yes. about what the culture is, what the expectations are. I'm wondering <laughs> if we can just spend just a quick couple of minutes uh, just, you know, shedding some light on, you know, what what is the actual culture? Where does it come from? What is okay. the belief system? Where What is the, what is the place of uh, women in Indian society? Well, uh, it's, a, 
it's a very patriarchal society, as is commonly known. Mm-hmm. Um, and although traditionally, um, anyway. Traditionally, yes. Um, and although, um, you know, um, most circles, particularly the middle class and the um, upper middle classes, uh, and the the very rich women are educated. Um, some of them have really good degrees. Some of them have very high positions. Uh, a lot of them run companies. Um, a lot of them, you know, hardworking women. But at the end of the day, you it is important to get married because a single woman is not a desirable element within our social setup. A single woman is pretty much a non-entity. Um, Why is that? Well, it's 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 because of the the patriarchy. It's because, um, as I've been told many times, as I used to be told, not not anymore, as I used to be told many times, was that um, I just don't have the experience of having to um, of having been through a marriage, of having dealt with assorted relatives, of having had a husband who uh, for whom I have to adjust my life. Um, and all those things, uh, hence eventually uh, the the end product of which is um, a lack of maturity, uh, which is you know it's a fallacy in itself. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So, so what I'm understanding is, um, and I, I know I'm probably pretending to be a little bit more naive than I actually am, but just just to empathize with the audience completely, I'm just going to pretend I know nothing about this yeah. at all. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is that basically it's almost a rite of passage that you have to go through in order to grow up. And yes. if you don't go through that, then you haven't really grown up yet. No, that's right. Uh, or as, as uh, to use the, the um, common Indian word, I, 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 I suppose it cut, cuts across all the Indian languages would be that um, sansar, you know what, what sansar is. You don't know if you're a single woman, you don't know what the sansar is. Hmm. Okay, now sansar has many, many meanings, but one of them being setting up a family uh, and being there for the family. Um, so it just renders you a non-entity um, in terms of that, the social setup. Um, so everybody got onto this project of Get Sapna Married, um, right from my mom to my aunties to family friends to... I don't know, long lost patience of my grandfather <laughs> um, with with everybody asking me what kind of husband I would like and, you know, going through the looking at my horoscope to see what is wrong with the horoscope, uh, looking, taking me to dragging me to temples and, you know, what do you call it? Um, seeking boons from the various deities in the temples and all of that and yeah. I know I, I make it sound really um, I'm quite um, I make it sound really light-hearted at the, uh, right now but um, it was not for me uh, I was completely um, not at the mercy of of these thought processes but I was just caught up in them uh, without my own say mm-hmm. without me having an opinion um, and the only opinion I had was that I don't want to do this. And because that's not an opinion you're supposed to have, uh, it did not mean anything. Oh. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> yeah, so it did not mean anything. Um, 
and that went on for a really long time eventually you know as i as i got into my 30s it was i think this i was 28 when i broke my engagement right uh, yes yeah, so eventually when i got to say my <clears throat> early 30s i was pretty much um off the shelf life or i was pretty much off the off the market the only person who would only per man who would marry me would be either a divorcee or somebody who's been w- widowed mm. you know um it's so um, i was pretty much off the market um and and in the end i i was i was glad to come to new zealand because that freed me from that kind of stuff uh over here nobody asked me any of these questions because <clears throat> my marital status or lack of it was was not of concern to anybody and they did not really care yeah um so i was freed up in many ways uh, when i moved to new zealand but over there it, it it was oppressive it was it was very hard it was you could not go to attend an event uh i'm not a very social person i'm a misanthrope at the best of times <laughs> i'm a misanthrope i'm a misanthrope at the best of times um i don't like to party um but i do i do have very few friends with whom i'm really intimate uh and i'm happy with that mm. so i would i would never attend weddings and all these cultural events and things like that but sometimes you have to and i would find that really hard because um it was either nudge nudge oh look at her she's the one who's refusing to get married or overly concerned uh aunties and uncles who would come over and ask me what kind of husband i'm looking for or give me a lecture on why it's important to be married yeah uh, so yeah it's pretty much it pretty much went on for that period of time and um um so how, I, I how did you deal with it when you were in the thick of it i really have no idea at this moment uh i think i must have been in a really bad mood for, for four or five years of my life right um looking back now i really don't know um i don't know where i got the strength to handle it and not give in uh i don't know um if you want to call it that strength or stubbornness whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um i really have no idea except that i was very very firm that i would do this only in my way i would do this only with the person that i want to do and if if on that path i made mistakes that's fine um mm. so i i'm not i'm not necessarily against the idea of arranged marriages or you know the traditional ways of doing things but what i am against is obviously oppression whether that's of women or men or anyone and i'm i'm very much uh pro freedom of choice and that if you're an adult and i generally think even these days uh, you know in indian society people and a lot of eastern societies people are expected to quote unquote settle down um yes. too early too young yes. and they they just haven't grown up enough yet to to deal with the responsibilities and the argument against that is simply that well you know for coming from our parents generation is that well we did it when we were younger why can't you do it and yeah. it's an interesting point i mean i never um i don't think i've ever turned around and just rejected it and just said well bah you know you you guys were different and that's it that's all that matters i think there's a point to it but i know that now because there are people um especially girls you know who might be listening to this and taking a lot of inspiration from everything that we've spoken about but especially resonating with this particular uh, part of your story 
And they're at a point where they feel so much pressure from everyone around them. And this is not necessarily just Indian women. I'm even talking about oh, yeah, women who have grown up that. in Western society, Western yes. cultures, who feel that pressure. Maybe it's not coming from their parents or grandparents. It's coming from their peers because all yes. their friends around them are getting married and they feel left out or they feel left behind. But there's still a voice inside them that feels, um, oh, there's a conflict inside them. One part feels that, you know, they should stick to their own journey, stick to their own uh, story and, you know, live life at their own pace. And another part of them says, well, I'm getting left behind, so I better just, you know, take what I can, settle for what I will, and, um, and, and, and you know, at least have the appearance of keeping up with everyone else. And I think this conflict causes um, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of desperation um, in a lot of people, regardless of what your culture or society is. Yeah. And if someone's listening to this now, particularly a young woman who looks up to you for not necessarily having made a right or wrong decision, but just having stuck to your guns and, yeah. you know, um, and had the discipline uh, or the strength or the stubbornness, whatever it is, to live life on your own terms, what advice will you give them? What advice can you give them if they're experiencing this conflict? Oh, I, I would just um, ask them to... Um, oh, I'm not very good at giving advice. <laughs> um, I would just ask them to, to do what their heart tells them to do. If, this is, if, if it is wrong, intuition is telling you this is wrong, then it's wrong. Um, if you, I, I'm not, I'm not against arranged marriages either. If people want to go in for that, that's fine. You know, that's what they want to do. And if, if, if they feel that at that particular moment in time, whoever the partner their parents have selected for them is good for them, then they should go for it. Um, if not, then they should just carry on with their own journey and try to empower themselves, not be bitter about it and not, not, not get pressurized into pressured into to doing this um there's just a couple of things though that i want to add is that when um when i was going through this i would now looking back um, um i wouldn't say that it was it was oppression per se because um for those people who were putting me through this uh, my family and my friends and everybody um that was the only thing they knew mm-hmm. uh, there was no other alternative and so they just wanted me to do what everybody else was doing because that was the only way that's really um, interesting in a sense to them they weren't oppressing you they were actually liberating you because yes. they were taking you to that next stage of your life where you would have more yes. freedom that's right because as a married woman i could pretty much do anything i mean i when one of my best friends got married um we could hang out late in the night, we could go drinking at pubs, we could do all of this which single women at of a particular age, now they can do it, but um, at that time, growing up in the 80s, was not what we could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because she was married and her husband came along with us, we could do all of that. Um, which was liberation, right? Yeah. <laughs> in a sense. So I would not call that oppression, I would just say that this is what they did at that time. Um, now, if you ask them the same people, they will have a different opinion. Uh, but at that time, this is the only thing they knew, so that, that is what they did. And I know of a lot of women who, really strong feminists, who um, went through an arranged marriage, or who, who chose their own life partners, but in a very pragmatic manner, 
because um, this is what they had to do in order to move on in life. Um, and that's what they did. I don't know if they have children today or whatever it is, but at that time I know of quite a few women who just got married because it was just safe for them to get married and carry on with whatever they were doing, but mm. have the marriage stamp. So um, it's just how society works and I'm, I'm sure it's changed a lot now. Um, so for me, if anybody wants to, you just have to be really, really strong uh, and it's not easy. You have many, many periods of many long moments of, of self-doubt and low self-esteem. Um, but somehow you just have to get through that. Um, I don't know how I did it. I'll, I'll make a movie about it one day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. You... A funny movie, by the way, because I do not want to dwell on... Because to me, at the end of it, it's all about human nature, isn't it? It's mm. all about what we do in a social setup. It's not about... Um, it's not about right or wrong. It's just a story and what we learn from it. Um, that's the way I look at it. So it'll be a funny movie. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think in retrospect, um, you know, we we have the complete freedom to choose the genre of how we yes. want to look at our life. We can look at it as a drama or a thriller or yes. you know, a comedy. Yeah, we'll make it romantic as well. So uh. <laughs> yeah, why not? You make it a Bollywood film. Oh no, song and dance. No. Um, in conventional sense. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> but I will. Um, you don't have to make a romantic film uh, to make a conventional Bollywood film to, to for it to be romantic, you know. Yeah, um, that's true. It'll just be it'll just be a story because I, I believe in happy endings. I want my audience to go out feeling um, happy and smile with a smile on their face. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? So on that note, um, <laughs> you know, in, in sort of uh, wrapping this this up, what is your what is your happy ending? I remember at the start of discussing having you on the show when I invited you, you said you talked about not being at a point where you felt um, that you could inspire people, that you were, you know, you you had everything that you needed to be at that place yeah. of inspiring people. I, I hope that you've realized that um, that's not true because this has been a very inspirational conversation. And oh, thank you. I, thank I hope you. that everyone listening to this will, you know, be able to uh, leave some comments or put in their feedback and, and express their gratitude as well because a lot of people message me privately uh, telling me about the different episodes and, and how much they got out of it. Uh, and, I, and I want to encourage everyone at this point to actually leave a comment, uh, not just for me, but for Sapna and, and let her know how inspiring this has been because oh. I know without a doubt this has been very inspiring and helpful for a lot of people. Well, I just say o over the years I have realized that I have a lot of energy, in good energy. Mm -hmm. um, I am full of life. Um, and my energy, it, it, it's mostly a positive kind of energy, but um, I have to distribute that energy to the rest of the world. Um, and I am figuring out a way how I can do that through storytelling, which is my creative side, and through my medical work, which is my healing side. Um, and how do I do it in such a way that I have some energy left for, my, for myself, but most of it is given away uh, to other people um, to help them become happy? Um, it sounds there's no there's no um, quantity to that. It's just about how I um, go about doing my work, how I I do certain things in this world. 
um, that is going to help me spread this energy. Um, that's how I look at it. I mean, that's my journey. Uh, and it'll, it'll have a lot of ups and downs. It will have, um, there'll be lots of, pe lots of long periods of, of self-doubt and low self-esteem and, you know, I'll be questioning myself. Um, but I've learned to accept that as part of my growth. Um, I've learned to accept the pain and the disappointments as part of my growth and then use all of that to still continue to um, improve my energy. I don't know, does that make sense to you? So <laughs> Absolutely, that's brilliant. Absolute gold, um, gold nuggets of wisdom there. And I think it ties in very nicely to my, my final question for you, which I ask everyone on the show. Yeah. Um, except uh, one time I forgot to. Which is, uh, what are your top three tips for optimizing your, you know, business leadership and life in general, um, from from all of your experiences, from all of your story overall? Oh, um, one is to um, learn from your mistakes. Uh, it's really important not to repeat those mistakes. Mind you, I have repeated my mistakes, especially with relationships. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all do. I know that feeling. <laughs> the pattern. Um, but, but yeah, to, to learn from your mistakes. Um, the second thing is to, uh, to work with people or to be surrounded by people who are smarter than you. Okay, um, that's a good one. Yeah, um, it's really important um, because these are the people who will tell you the truth. Mm. Uh, these are the people who will um, stimulate you to do better. So um, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Uh, I'll, have to fi I'll have to figure out how to do that one day. Yeah, just, it's just seems to be impossible. No, you <laughs> <laughs> well, you will, um, you will be able to uh, once you, you will zone on to people. They don't necessarily have to be with you all the time. Yeah. Uh, they have to be people that you can reach out to um, and, and just, just, confiding no of I course I'm, I'm only joking I'm, yeah. I'm very grateful for um, for amazing uh, mentors and friends like yourself as well that I have yeah you know we have silly conversations as well but they're all still fun yeah <laughs> and we do not have to explain that to each other because well you know <laughs> smarter people um, <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes yeah, so um yeah learn from your mistakes surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and um and be grateful uh, be grateful for um, for all the things that you actually have um, because that is what I have you know over the years is, is something um, just grateful for the food on your table it's, it's not old-fashioned when people say a prayer at the at just before eating their food but simple things like you know being able to catch a rainbow I, I saw a rainbow yesterday morning a rainbow and the moon at the same time um, yeah, simple yeah. things like that because that it, being grateful is going to multiply your compassion. Um, yeah, three tips, simple. That's beautiful. Look, thanks so much, Sapna, for being on the show. I think if you do write a book, or I should say, when you write a book, uh, not only will it be very well written and entertaining, it will be very inspiring. I can assure you, and I well, hope it I, happens soon. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks so much again. And uh, yeah, I hope to hope to speak with you soon again on the show. Okay. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Life Optimized Show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. 
And whatever you do, don't keep the episode to yourself. Make sure you go and share it with your friends and networks. Until next time, I'm Dave Singh.